Oh, man. Good morning, Hillcrest family. My name is David. I love being one of the pastors around here and, and love hearing stories of life in the body. We gather every week to sing songs, to tell stories, to hear a sermon, and then to be sent out uh, to be this living proof of a loving God. And through that week, we gather in more intimate settings, like a life group or different communities and pockets. And so uh, if you have yet to jump in, uh, a great opportunity to be encouraged with other followers of Christ in this journey of trying to find life in his name. And, uh, and we are launching this three weeks into this series, Living Proof of a Loving God with our head, heart, and hands. And it's rooted in this, uh, a last will and testament. And maybe this has been true in your life where when someone has failed to give a will or has failed to share their last wishes, what have you seen happen? I've been around a few situations where it just becomes contentious, where it just becomes uh, frustrating and angry for different parties, where money becomes an issue, or who gets to keep grandma's doll that was, you know, it's just crazy. This morning, we get to look at Jesus' last will and testament. In every gospel and then in Acts, over those 40 days when Jesus appeared to a variety of people in a variety of places, he had the same message everywhere he went. What did he say? Go. Go be the living proof of the transformative life you've experienced in me. And so I was surprised. I stumbled upon in this process, stumbled upon a study from an organization called Barna where 51% of churchgoers were unclear of what the Great Commission was. They had never heard the name Great Commission. And so I thought, may it never be at Hillcrest that we are unclear of what the Great Commission is. Because maybe when you hear the name Great Commission, you think, if you're in sales, wow, was that like 30%? Like, what was the Great Commission? Was that like 20%? Like, what was the return? Jesus, instead, the Great Commission is his last will and testament that he shares. And I just want to read the different places we find at the end of the Gospels what Jesus said. Though slightly different words, the same core message. Here's the one we're probably most familiar with. It comes from Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. John, in Jesus sitting with the disciples, John records it in a similar way. Here's how John says it. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me... Even so, I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We're going to pick this up in Luke here in the spring. Because you guys love that we've been in Luke. How long have we been in Luke? Over a year. It'll end up being two and a half years by the time we're done. It is a beautiful thing. We love taking our time. Because just in the midst of a fast-paced consumeristic world, we long to slow down long enough in the midst of the noise and the hurry, slow down long enough to hear from God through his word. Here's what we're going to hear in the spring. A little teaser. 
Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You have been, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed from power on high. And they wait and then they are and Jesus gives that commission in Acts Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will go make disciples. You will be my witnesses. How? He gives a very clear strategy in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And uh, Casey got me the message translation It's kind of a paraphrase, and so I've been using the message, similar to New Living, if some people use that. I've been using the message in my devotions, and so I was reading what Eugene Peterson on how he paraphrased the Great Commission. Here's what he said. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave him his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, then instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. I will be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of this age. This is Jesus' last will and testament, this great commission. But what it feels like for us at Hillcrest is sometimes we look around at the Western Evangelical Church and there's a problem that has been observed. And it's a quote from a guy named Will Mancini. He looks around and the church in North America is dramatically overprogrammed and underdiscipled. We've turned that great commission into a functional great commission. Go into all the world and make more worship attenders, baptize them in the name of small groups, and teach them to volunteer a few hours a month. Around here, remind me, what's the name of this series as we launch into the fall? Head, heart, and hands to be living proof of a loving God. That Jesus' last will and testament, with our head, with our heart, with our hands, to go be the living proof. And so we're going to walk through these next three weeks, starting here in the Great Commission, what it looks like for us to experience that with our head, our heart, and then week three, you may remember him, he's my buddy from California, he and I served at a church together, Will Robbins is going to come and join us for that third week. This first week though, Jesus makes it clear. We are sent starting right where we are. And this begins by thinking rightly about who we are and about those that have yet to treasure Jesus, understanding our role, how God has wired this thing, understanding our role in God's plan for those that have yet to treasure Christ. So pray with me and we will will jump into the Great Commission, this living proof of a loving God starting with our heads. God, you are so good. What a privilege to, to gather as the body, not to come to church, to be the church gathered in one place that then scatters back to our Monday to Saturday. Whatever we have going on this week, whatever might be clouding our minds, whatever might be trying to creep into our hearts, may you still that, quell that in our hearts so we can hear from you, that we could see you more clearly through your word and feel more fully the weight of this great commission that you are calling us to. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So in your outline, you're going to see it. Three ideas. If we're talking about time, uh, there's going to be a bulk of time spent on the first one. So if we get through the first bullet and you're like, 
man, what time is it? There's a Packer game later on today. Don't be concerned. Bullets two and three move fairly quickly. But it starts with this, a mindset where we think, thinking and living as a sent person. And then Jesus gives us a worldview on how we can interact. He says, don't leave anyone out. And then he gives them an assurance. Jesus is always with us. So here's where he starts. Matthew 28, his last will and testament. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But what? Some doubted. So often we think, if you've heard this before, it is this great commission. It is this sending of his disciples. And yet what's taking place in the context to which he's giving it? Some tentativity. Some nervousness. Some anxiety. Some doubt. Jesus, you want us to do what, where, with who? Don't you know we're just this small group of people and and you have this great plan? They worshiped him and yet some doubted. Maybe some of us feel that sometimes as we go through our day that it feels like we're swimming upstream and it, it might lead to some doubt. Is this really the essence of life? Jesus says, I got some words for you in the midst of that context. Where does he start? He starts with our mindset, living as a sent person. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when you feel that commission, that weight, that all authority has been given to Jesus, to to what does that extend? What is the scope of that authority? I stumbled upon this commentary that I thought he penned it very well. How big is that scope? When something starts to bubble up in your heart and Jesus, the words of Jesus say, all authority has been given to me, what is the scope of that? Jesus is the universal Lord and Savior overall. He has authority over nature and nations. Throughout Luke, we've been seeing this. The way he interacts with Herod and Pilate, we're going to see it a little bit later. The way he interacts with calming storms over nature and nations. The psalmists often cry the rising and falling of nations. Jesus says not a sparrow falls to the ground without the Father, right? Over nature and nations. And he has authority over disease and demons. We've watched different healings and and, and casting out these spiritual oppressing weight that are taking place in people's lives that he still does. Today we see it. He has authority over sin and death. The deepest, most meaningful thing in the midst of the healings and spiritual weight Jesus is always after people's hearts over sin and spiritual death and literal death. He has authority over our lives. Do you believe Jesus is the smartest guy that ever walked the earth? That if there's an issue we have, he's someone that we could actually run to. Up until a hundred years, we couldn't fathom what was beyond these galaxies. Look up in the sky a hundred years ago, what are those things? Now, people think they have it all figured out. They actually believe Jesus has authority over all lives and compels us to go. Now, that might stir up in a parent's heart like it does mine. Coercion and behavior modification. He has authority, so I have to do it. Versus what I love what this commentator said. His worth is the fuel of that mission. His worth actually inspires those words have weight because of who he is, who the guy's saying it is. And his worship becomes the goal, not simply compliance, but actually worship of him. 
And so when we hear his last will and testament, we don't hear coercion and manipulation. We hear an invitation into life. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is the call? And here's where I often wonder about what authority I carry. We were teaching, we were doing soccer yesterday. It was Hudson's first soccer game. And uh, the parents recounted to Casey, and Casey told me later. Uh, So I'm an assistant coach on the team, quote unquote. I have very little soccer. I love basketball and volleyball, right? Those are the sports I love. Soccer, I'm out there giving high fives and orange slices. But... (laughs) But I do understand if you're the left mid, you're supposed to be on the left side of the field. And so I feel a greater freedom to to encourage my son on where he's supposed to be. So if you know eight-year-old boys' soccer or any eight-year-old sports, what do they tend to do? Yeah, that's it. Wherever that ball is. So I guess, supposedly, the other parents mentioned to Casey... That they heard me frequently saying, left, left, Hudson, left, to which Hudson completely ignored and continued to just follow the ball. So all authority, though, from Jesus, we hear him, and here's what he calls us to. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And in English, we hear that sometimes as a destination. So go. But instead, the language is much more relational and organic. It's as you go. The language is as you go about this life, in your Monday to Saturday, make disciples. So the inevitable question becomes, what's a disciple, right? It's such a buzzword in Western evangelical Christianity. What's a disciple? And so for us around here, we've tried to narrow an understanding. It's three primary relationships. It's following Jesus. It's a relationship with him through his word, understanding what he calls us to. But do we do that in isolation? Is it just me and Jesus? No, it's we and Jesus. We build community with other followers of Christ on this journey. And then, is it a holy huddle? No, We go and seek transformation with those that have yet to treasure Christ. It's a relationship with those that have yet to treasure Christ. How does that happen? Is it through some program? Is it through some systematic structure? Is it through volunteer? It's one life at a time. And like we said, sometimes what happens in our context is we Forget that there are those that have yet to treasure Christ because we found something pretty sweet and we're not sure we want to share it. Maybe like that favorite restaurant because if we share it, maybe then other people are going to have to share it with us. And ugh, I kind of have a nice spot carved out. I know my table. I know where I sit. That pew has my name on it and I just know how it works. Jesus says, go make disciples. There is a seeking transformation element, not coercion, not manipulation, but an invitation. But sometimes... That holy huddle stops that movement. And are we fully perfected yet? Casey was sitting here first service. I asked her. I didn't ask her to share any stories, but I asked her, am I still in process? Yeah. Till the day we die, till Jesus returns or he calls us home, we are all growing in one of those spheres. Some of us, 
We like to follow Jesus and seek transformation. We're kind of like a religious Rambo out there, right? On the streets. And you're like, well, maybe you should come hang with some other believers. That might be a good thing, right? Others of us, maybe to the exclusion of following Jesus, we're just out there like a social justice warrior, just running and gunning. We've forgotten that Jesus is actually a fundamental part of this equation. Some of us maybe just follow Jesus to the exclusion of anybody else in our life. What do you call that? Like a monk, right? Or a scholar. They're like a hermit. They just want to retreat. For us, it is growing in all three of these areas. And what's foundational to that? When Jesus says, go and make disciples, for us, a fundamental part of that is hearing from God through his word. So we gather every single Sunday, not to do topical series, but to open the gospel, open a letter, and read and hear from God, believing it actually starts shaping how we view life. And when we view life a certain way, what happens? Changes our choices. Changes how we make decisions. There's a guy, Leslie Newbegin, who wrote a book called The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. I found this quote fascinating. He says this. In a consumer society, you guys with me? We're here. We're still doing this. First service, I started going on rabbit trails. I'm trying to stay focused for second service. We're doing this. In a consumer society where the freedom of every citizen to express his or her personal preference is taken as a fundamental to human happiness, whether that personal preference is in respect of washing powder or sexual behavior, it will be natural to conclude that adherence to the Christian tradition is also simply an expression of personal preference. In a consumeristic, subjective society, Christianity is just one of the options. But Jesus offered something else. All authority has been given to me as you go, make disciples. This is not a subjective reality for which we can consider. It is an objective truth to be accepted or rejected. What sometimes happens then in a pluralistic, consumeristic society, we move to that truth becoming more private when Jesus actually has made that a public truth. That worldview, that mindset gets expressed publicly in how we make choices. It is not simply a, well, I can do this in my private home. It is something we live in our Monday to Saturday. The more we hear from God through his word, the more it shapes how we believe and impacts our heart and the way we live. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples and what? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. For the joy that comes, not in coercion and manipulation, but an invitation into the freest way to live, life with Christ. And so you might have seen this picture before. It's a classic. I love that the navigators, I think that's where it originated. Someone could correct me. But they put up this diagram where humanity finds itself on an irreconcilable, sorry, there's a gap, irreconcilable for us, independent gap between us and God. From what? We understand the wages, the payment for sin, for the brokenness of our lives is death. But, Paul says in Ephesians, the gift of God is free for anyone who would accept it, and it produces eternal life in Christ, both now and forever, what closes that gap is faith in Christ. It's the cross. It is the most counterintuitive symbol, like a guillotine, like a hangman's noose, 
What once was seen as a form of punishment has become our redemption. But sometimes what it feels like in Western evangelical culture is we forget something happened before that. How is someone introduced? Not through a rally, though we've seen those in our past, but when someone actually begins to work through what is preventing them from coming to Jesus as that reconciliation. In our culture, and don't take this to the bank, I would say this is my observation. I mean, I look around and our world is just swimming in debt. We are just consumers and we are trying to fill this God-shaped hole that is increasingly swimming us in debt, overwhelming us in debt to our eyeballs, right? And we're a lonely culture. We're just anxious and depressed, isolated, and we worship our kids, we just run and gun everywhere they want to go to our detriment and to their detriment, we worship our kids. And then fourth, because of our background, I think there's enough church experience. Some of you might have that here, where there's church hurt that you're bringing into this space, church baggage. What would overcome those things looking? Because why would I start buying stuff? I'm trying to fill a void. Why would I isolate maybe and just scroll on my phone? I don't want to be hurt by someone again that's hurt me. Why would I be worshiping my kids? Because I may be living vicariously through them for something I never had. And church baggage, again, journey of life. What would move that? Sparking curiosity. And inevitably, sparking curiosity has to go somewhere. Where's it go? make a choice. But again, I'd argue in Western evangelical, we stopped there and said, if you pray a prayer, you're good for eternity. And do I believe that if you pray a prayer and accept Jesus, there is a confidence no one can snatch out of the Father's hands? And if that conviction was true, what happens? Hurts, whatever might be going on in someone's life, and inevitably, The gospel is infused into every one of those situations where we tell many gospel stories about the way God designed life to be, the damage by evil. Why do bad things happen? We actually have an origin story for why that's the case. The cross is the remedy, and there is a point we long for better. I'm going to read another quote. This one is another guy talking about that great commission and the three-and-a-half-year camping trip Jesus took his guys on. Here's what he says. He says, you know that friendship I've shared with you, Jesus speaking, for the last three, three and a half years? Repeat that in the exact same way over and over again, starting right now and go and do exactly what I did with your friends without ever stopping. When you tell others in your life about me, some will believe me, implied some won't, and follow me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be sure to pull them close like I did with you and show them how to love God, love people, and make disciples who make more disciples until every community in the world has disciple-making friends who are making more disciple-making friends. As you live my disciple-making way of life, you have full assurance of my presence, power, and provision, for I am always with you. He says there is a mindset for how this occurs, and then he begins adding, there's a worldview for how this is. Here's what he says, don't leave anyone out. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of whom? 
People like me that like the same things as me? People that talk the same language of me or have the same uh, way of viewing things in this life? He says, of all nations, socioeconomic stratus, different interests, inviting them into this life-giving relationship with Jesus. Acts gives us the process to which he said how to do this. He said, when you'll receive power, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, in our homes and neighborhoods, more regionally and cross-culturally in terms of potentially background, and then the different languages and people groups. And we've been on this journey. It's hard to believe, guys. I've been here four years. Is that crazy to anybody else? We are starting to acclimate more and more to the winter climate, slowly. Orange County was warm. Wisconsin has seasons. That's what we love about Wisconsin. We've been here four years, and we've been talking broadly about our DNA, who we are, our mission, our vision, our values as a church family. And we began, and we introduced at the annual meeting, if you remember, what it looks like to then move from DNA to direction. Where might God be taking Hillcrest? And so we spent some time asking, what would that look like? Where does it start? What's the name of this series again? Head, heart, hands. To be living proof of a loving God. Where does it start? It starts with us. Believing that great commission applies to us as his disciples, making disciples. That we are people. Helping people find life with Jesus, not through a program, but through a relationship sparking curiosity. In those three layers, following Jesus, building community, and seeking transformation. What happens when a group of those people get together? What do you call that? Community singular. What do you call it when a group of people who call Hillcrest Bible home get together? We're a community helping people, helping others find life with Jesus. We are beginning to have a conversation. What would it look like to truly be a hub that has a heart and a habit of multiplication? What, what would that look like? Because if you remember our vision statement from a while back, what does it say? A multi-generational communities, plural. What would that mean? It would mean that there are other Hillcrest Bibles that have a shared heart and conviction about what it means to not have private truth, but public truth, to not have a subjective view of, of the world, but an objective reality, longing for others to be biblically saturated. So that's the conversation that's happening this year. What would it mean for us to be a hub, but where does it start? Everyday missionaries who actually believe we get to share the joy in Christ with someone else. Every picture you look at has four different layers. It has a beyond the horizon. It has a background. It has a mid-ground. And it has that foreground right in front of us. What we're asking this year is, we feel like there's a core DNA to what makes us Hillcrest. What would it look like to begin looking beyond the horizon? But where does it start? <laughs> to be living proof of a loving God. And Allie, that is a beautiful noise, right? Not that it was coming from Allie, but it was coming from someone connected to Allie. <laughs> Living a scent, seeing that worldview of all nations, and then 
when I start to feel that tinge of anxiety or fear bubble up on whether I should actually engage in telling a mini gospel story, what does Jesus promise? He's always with us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, when someone disagrees with that worldview and way of life because they view it as subjective and not for them but for me, what does Jesus promise? <laughs> He's present with us in that Monday to Saturday living in our workplaces, in our homes. He promises to comfort and be with us. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I want to encourage us as we enter this year, what, what, what might that look like for us? Monday matters. Monday's coming. I think it starts here. Do you know what you believe? With our head to our heart to our hands, do you know what you believe? Jesus has given us, God's given us the greatest gift the world will ever see, forgiveness in Christ. The guy I mentioned last week out on the lawn, what was his realization that he was trying to sit on the throne of his heart? That he wanted to control his circumstances and he got to the end of his metaphorical rope and realized he couldn't solve those circumstances. He had to look beyond himself. What was that? God gave him the greatest gift, namely forgiveness in Christ, and he, he could stop striving. He could rest in Christ knowing the victory had been won for his eternity and it changed the trajectory with his spouse, with his kids, with his coworkers. God's given us the greatest gift of the world, forgiveness through him. And this gift, the gospel, is the power to save. That's not a subjective reality that a consumeristic culture would like to claim. It is an objective truth to build our lives on. And... It has movement, a horizontal cure and a vertical hope. There is this horizontal sparking curiosity relationship rooted in a vertical reality. Now, if, if we believe that, what might be the next step? Is that something that I keep in my privacy of my own home? <laughs> the gospel is not private, but public news, good news to be proclaimed and we often describe that by asking this question, God, what are you inviting me into today? With the people that I sit next to, when I'm walking into any coffee shop or restaurant, do you pray for those that you're about to engage with? God, what do you have for me? And then God has given us the greatest privilege of conveying that message. One life at a time. You guys go, but David, isn't that your job? Isn't that why we pay you? You guys haven't quite figured out, I think I have the greatest gig in the world, and I am incredibly thankful for your generosity. I, I actually get to encourage you guys to share this hope in Christ. God has given us the greatest privilege of conveying Jesus' gospel, repentance, and forgiveness to those who desperately need it. And he's given us the power, his Holy Spirit, to bring the gospel to those who are facing eternal death. He says he is with us even to the end of the age, that we actually get to share this hope. How? Through manipulation and coercion? Through behavior modification and by lovingly standing and inviting people into the hope that is Jesus with the understanding it is going to be contrary to their worldview. Teaching them all that Jesus has. 
his Holy Spirit to bring the gospel. And then I think this is a beautiful reality. We live to experience Jesus' love and to share it with others. And so I, I want to read this prayer, and then I want to apply this prayer to one specific population, knowing that it could be applied in a variety of ways. With an increased understanding, our head of all that you have done for us, the living proof of a loving God, may this commission, the Great Commission, send us into the world this week with desperate dependence on you to change hearts, and may the compassion that you demonstrate propel us in the way we see and engage people in our homes neighborhoods, and worlds. What is one area where this might get applied this week? With our kids. We just started school for us in our home. And so how might I continue to invest in my kids? How might you invest in the lives of those around you? So I'm going to invite Tyler and Aaron up because I love us as a community to pray with desperate dependence for God's continued work in the lives of our kids, our grandkids, and the kids and lives around us.